Thursday. Sam. Even at eleven in the morning, the distant badlands shimmered from San Calvig's vantage point on Telegraph Hill, the refracted heat waves licking at the horizon like a campfire. He tugged the bill of his ball cap low over his eyes, then reached for the binoculars and drew them up. Not even noon, ninety-two degrees, the hottest part of the day still to come, and the blast furnace of August lurking in the near future. Damn, Sam thought. A guy could almost wish for October, and an early snow. Almost. He started his scan from the northeast, as always, where the edge of town eroded into the bend of the highway. A half mile down the road, a flashing yellow light signaled Williston to the left, Watford City straight ahead, two boomtowns tucked into the folds of Scoria far beyond Sam's searching eyes. North Dakota. The Bakken oil formation and all that goes with it. In all his fifty-three years, Sam had been happy to keep his feet largely in Montana, thank you very much. He'd enjoyed the innate superiority of being a Montanan in a border town. He might well be a farm boy, but at least he wasn't some mud-hut dweller from across the line. That kind of self-regard was a product of another time, however. Now the rush was on, and it seemed that every eastern Montana kid with a willingness to work and more than a few shiftless layabouts was being pulled across the border, drawn by oil that never ran dry and the promise of ninety grand a year. It made Sam sick sometimes to think of this, how easily the money flowed out there, and how hard he'd worked throughout his life to make that kind of dough. He remembered well the first year he and Patricia had seen more than fifty grand on their tax return, the way they'd looked at each other as if their fleet of ships had come in. Now the dropout kid next door made more than Sam did. With that came another shift in thought, and he was back where he so often landed these days. It seemed sometimes that Grandview High pumped out the kids onto a conveyor belt to the oil fields. But his own son had run, hard and fast, in the other direction. Patricia, ever the optimist in the ways of family, kept saying Samuel Jr. would be coming home this weekend. Sam wasn't inclined to believe it until he saw it. Just beyond the state line lay the nest of simple, white, mobile housing units, the man camp for the rig that rose like a ship's mast on the flat land in the middle of Sam's view. He telescoped in. Sons of bitches, he said. Gonna have to keep an eye on them. He said it aloud, as if he weren't alone on Telegraph Hill, as if an absent conspirator might intuitively understand the rotten trade-offs inherent in an oil play. By night, the men shuffled westward into Montana, more particularly, and more galling to Sam, into Grandview, to drink whiskey and chase women, and while the double musky in Pete's Cafe might enjoy the fattening bottom line, others in the town were paying the freight. Sam himself had found a 19-year-old kid heard up from Oklahoma curled up into a ball in his garage one morning, sleeping off a drunk. While the young man was properly apologetic in his startled sobriety, that experience had changed things. Sam locked his doors at night now, and so did his neighbors. Parents told their children not to talk to strangers and to avoid certain parts of town after a certain hour. In a burg of six hundred souls, who would have imagined that a town could be so segmented? Not long ago, there were no strangers, Sam often lamented to his pals down at the country basket. He let the binoculars drop to his chest. Then he pulled a bandana from his back pocket and wiped his brow. At the farm and feed, before leaving on an early lunch break for this reconnaissance mission, 
Sam had looked up the ten-day forecast on the office computer and braced himself for the result. The third week in July was reliably a cooker, and this year looked to be no exception. High nineties across the board for the weekend with brief scatterings of rain in the evenings.